0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. COVID rates in Illinois are dropping. Experts are urging folks to double mask. Chicagoans can now look for vaccine appointments via ZocDoc. And in the near future, you may need what's called a vaccine passport. Lots to unpack there. The pandemic's been crazy and confusing, to say the very least. And we want to make things a little bit clearer for you. So here to answer your COVID-19 questions, just like she is every Friday, is Dr. Mia Taramina, Infectious Disease Specialist with the DuPage Medical Group. Hi, Dr. Taramina. Welcome back. Hi, Sasha Ann. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Dr. Termina, we learned yesterday that Illinois' seven-day positivity rate has dropped to 3.4%, and we haven't seen that since the early fall, just before a fast rise in cases. So can you put this into context for us? What's driving the success, and is it sustainable?
1: I think it is sustainable if we double down and continue to do what we're doing in terms of uh, folks really uh, aggressively seeking vaccines when they are available and their tier is available, gobbling up every possible vaccine appointment. And we can only hope that we will continue to have more and more appointments available and more and more people vaccinated, in addition to folks kind of appreciating what was seen over the holidays and and seeing loved ones and family members get sick or potentially hospitalized and kind of redouble their efforts to wear the masks, to socially distance. And if we can continue doing that, the combination of the two will help keep these numbers down, even as we look towards the possibility of some more resistant strains becoming dominant in our communities.
0: Well, of course, the big news this week, Doctor, is that the city is teaming up with the company ZocDoc to promote its vaccine scheduler, basically a web portal that allows people to book appointments for vaccinations. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: So from what I've heard uh basically it's going to be a centralized application which will allow individuals to um kind of attest to their criteria and what makes them uh at each individual tier and able to get the vaccine and then a number of locations mm-hmm. uh based on distance availability will be able to pop up expediting individuals abilities to get those vaccines the hope will still be that every first dose is met with a second dose at the similar uh, or same location but when needed. This also gives the flexibility for second dose only appointments if your original first dose location no longer has product available when you're due for your second dose.
0: So what was the system before? Why did it need to change?
1: (laughs) There was really no system before. The Uh the
0: system before is is sort of uh, kind of
1: Reaching out to your own providers, making sure your My Charts are activated, waiting uh, kind of for a message to come to you. This gives a little bit of control back to the patient to actively seek vaccine on their own. Your healthcare providers, in all probability, will still be generating uh, automated messages to you when vaccine is available for you, but it does not uh, go and notice that you might have the ability to get vaccine sooner through a different avenue, and you absolutely should if you can.
0: There's also talk about creating a vaccine passport, Doctor. Both the Danish government and the UK tech company—they're—they're starting to roll out their own versions. What do you make of the idea of a vaccine passport?
1: I think time will tell. One of the the biggest uh, issues that we need to kind of settle on here, as time moves on and we have more and more individuals vaccinated, is we really need to have some appreciable data on your chances of transmitting this virus if you're fully vaccinated. So we know uh, that the chances of getting the virus if you're fully vaccinated are are very slim based on some fantastic data and fantastic numbers. But we need to kind of make sure the transmissibility is very low or very rare. If we see that someone who's fully vaccinated can stay healthy, but is, is a major spreader of the virus, I don't know how vaccine can give us an immunity passport. The hope is, and the early data points towards fully vaccinated individuals not being major drivers of infection. And if that's the case, we can certainly see where documentation of vaccine should suffice for travel and other things.
0: Dr. When could we know about whether a person who's been vaccinated is still able to spread the virus?
1: It's going to take a while, okay. uh, many, many months of data, I would think, uh, are going to be necessary. Uh, but again, all preliminary stuff coming in at this point is is showing that while you can still carry some active virus, it does not appear to be in very high numbers, and the chances of transmitting it are are much lower than if you haven't been vaccinated, which is all very
0: reassuring. We have John on the line from Lincoln Park. Hi, John. What's your question for the doctor? Yes, Hello. Um, I have an eye disease called retinitis pigmentosa. I asked a friend if they were getting vaccinated, and they said their eye specialist told them to wait because the current two vaccination uh, treatments change your DNA. I said I didn't think that was true. Um, They pointed out that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine coming out does not change your, your, your DNA, and you should wait for that one. Is there any truth to this?
1: Thank you for your call. Uh, The messenger RNA vaccines, both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine, do not and cannot change your DNA. The DNA is held within the nucleus of the cell and the messenger RNA simply does not enter the nucleus. So this is a a messenger or a, a driver that's going to go ahead and give your body the message to make spike protein, which will then generate antibodies to the virus. It's a very effective, safe and efficient process. In no way do messenger RNA vaccines impact your DNA. Johnson & Johnson's vaccine, we are hoping to see get emergency use authorization by the end of the month and may be a very viable option for a number of individuals, but I would not have hesitation receiving any available vaccine.
0: Our state doctor is in phase four in reopening right now. Uh, The positivity rate is down, as we mentioned. Uh, Restrictions are getting more relaxed. But what does phase four look like exactly? And, And how did we actually get here?
1: you know we get to phase four when we have sustained lower numbers in the community and lower levels of positive rates in the community and and we got there with a combination again of of masking social distancing and vaccination efforts in in the last you know month and a half or so as people are getting fully vaccinated it is driving down those numbers this is what establishes herd immunity. We're nowhere near herd immunity, but we're starting to see the positive impacts of vaccination and continued safety measures. Um, I think that you know what phase four looks like is going to be more things open, more places and more people in indoor spaces. So we know what we need to do, even in those indoor spaces that are allowing you to uh, go ahead and dine indoors and, and things like that. We still need to maintain the mask wearing and social distancing. By my view, if you're eating indoors, you should have a mask on essentially the whole time you're not actually physically eating, and certainly when servers are at your table to protect them as well yeah. um, you know but time time is moving forward here, and we are seeing some encouraging things.
0: but as people get out more right and in this phase during phase four, could we see a spike in cases in a week or two or three? Down the line? We could.
1: We could. And we have to absolutely prepare ourselves to reel this back in one more time because we we need to watch these community trends. If we start having major circulating resistant virus in our community, like the B117 strain from the UK, which could very well be our dominant strain in the next four to six weeks we may have to redouble those efforts. We may see official guidelines for double masking, or we may see official guidelines rolling things back a phase again. It, it depends on how the community spread is going at that time.
0: Let's hear from a caller. Maria joins us now from Elmhurst. Hi, Maria. What's your question? Hi. Yes, my
1: question is, um, if I'm able to get a vaccine, uh, do you, rec- if I'm able to get, I'm not part of any of the categories right now. I'm But if I'm able to get a first vaccine, um, do you recommend me to do that or should I like if there's no guarantee for a second vaccine? So Maria, everyone who gets a first vaccine should be able to get a second vaccine at the same location. So I get this question commonly. I an individual is not in any of the phases, they're otherwise healthy and well, but maybe they stumble upon a pharmacy that has leftover doses or something like that. And if it's between the trash can or a patient's arm, by all means, if vaccine is available to you and you are not maliciously trying to jump the line to get ahead of someone else and it's simply offered to you because it's available, by By all means, take the vaccine available to you, inquire about the second vaccine schedule. But if in fact you're taking a vaccine because someone has not shown up or they've been unable to receive that vaccine, there should be a second vaccine available to you. On the rare instance that there wouldn't be at the appropriate interval, we have up to six weeks to give a second dose to you.
0: Thanks for calling, Maria. Doctor, right after reset yesterday, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease doc, he was on fresh air and he said that he wouldn't quite yet call COVID a, quote, forever virus like the flu. But he did say that it was a possibility. Let's take a listen.
1: If we were living in a vacuum in only the United States, then I don't think we'd have to worry about seasonal turnover and having to match but we live in a global community and unless we get the rest of the world adequately vaccinated and unless we don't have the opportunity of this virus to mutate in a place that doesn't have access to vaccines we will always be threatened
0: what are your thoughts on that dr termina
1: I obviously think uh, Dr. Fauci is absolutely correct. The nature and tendency towards mutation in these viruses uh, in areas where we cannot get people fully vaccinated faster than these mutations are occurring could lead to seasonal variants of coronavirus for uh, for ever, essentially. Um, I agree that we can't exactly establish that because we have to see how this global effort over the next, not months, to but several years goes. Um, it may take two plus years to vaccinate the far reaches of this world and get vaccine to those individuals. But by all means, we travel all over this planet. And because of that, it's, it's not uncommon to uh, have these uh, virus strains and more resistant strains come up in clusters uh, for a long time to come. The hope would be that the infrastructure is in place to tackle these outbreaks as epidemics so we don't have a pandemic spread ever again.
0: We got a question earlier this week from Stella in Chicago, and she asked, am I a traitor if I don't want the vaccine? Doctor, this is a question that we've gotten time and time again, as you know, from folks who are just afraid to, to get the shot and they're feeling guilty. What do you have to say to those folks?
1: So, Stella, my strongest argument at this point, not not meant to be an argument or confrontation at all, is the fact that while we don't have long-term data on the, uh, the the things that make us nervous about this vaccine, the long-term safety data. We know that the vast majority of severe adverse vaccine injuries and reactions happen in four to six weeks after vaccine. That's why the emergency use authorization required 60 days of data before considering emergency use authorization. So we have seen very, very promising statistics. As time goes on, however. However, I remind you that we are seeing in in approximately 15 percent of all coronavirus cases, even individuals who think that they had very mild symptoms and are doing well, potentially significant damage to heart, to lungs, to the central nervous system. And that's where we do have data. We have a year of data on coronavirus and what it can do to our bodies. And I think all signs are pointing towards the virus itself having confirmed potential to cause significant harm and a vaccine where all signs are pointing towards it being very safe and very effective. And a lot of science and a lot of physicians are in agreement. So while this is a personal decision, I would encourage you to to think long and hard about the possibility of not having an easy recovery from coronavirus and the vaccine being the
0: better option at this time. Rob is on the line from Oak Park. Hi, Rob. What's your question?
1: I have a close relative who is uh, suffering from senility, and uh, we hired a a home health care person to look after her during the day. I come over and look after her during the evening, overnight, in the morning. And we set up uh, to get her vaccinated the other day, and uh, I had to arrange to get myself vaccinated, and we both had those little forms, you know. They would vaccinate her, but they said they wouldn't vaccinate me, even though I'd gotten the appointment and everything, without a letter from the IDFP8, the Department of Public Health. And I don't know what that was about.
0: Doctor, can you weigh in there? So, um, Rob,
1: my guess is uh, you may be under uh, age 65, so you don't automatically qualify, and what they're looking for is for documentation that you are indeed a primary caregiver of your loved one and that your loved one is someone who would have potentially a very poor outcome uh, if they did become COVID positive. If you are indeed under age 65, you may require some additional documentation, a letter that can be printed off from, it's actually the Illinois Department of Health and Human Services, or potentially a letter from your your doctor, verifying that you are indeed a primary caregiver and should be considered as part of Category 1A, and that should be
0: sufficient. Dr. Termina, let's get right back into it. Uh, Illinois has confirmed 17 cases of the UK COVID variant, which we know spreads very fast. And the variants from Brazil and South Africa are also circulating here in the U.S. What do we know so far about these variants? And, And what's the CDC's plan in controlling and reporting these cases?
1: So every time you get tested, people are asking, you know, did I get tested for the variants? Did I get tested for the variants? We do have lab capacity to spot check, look for trends in the community, and be able to do genetic sequencing to find out if these variants are circulating in our communities. We do know that these uh, strains are more uh, transmissible. They they are probably 50 to 60 to 70 percent more contagious. They uh, enter the body more efficiently. They hang on to those ACE2 receptors in our lung tissues a little more firmly. Um, and because of that, they can, again, be more transmissible. We still are not seeing any concrete evidence that they are necessarily more um, uh, dangerous in terms of morbidity and mortality. We're, we're watching case reports, and we're watching studies to see this. Uh, the vaccines, the, the uh, messenger RNA vaccines available, have a, a very good amount of efficacy against the UK strain, but then that efficacy wanes as we get towards um, the Brazil strain and the South African strain. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine, as it uh, applies for emergency use currently and hopefully gets approved at the end of the month, uh, demonstrated, quote-unquote, only 50 per- 57% efficacy against the South African strain. That being being said, 57% 57% is is far more than 0%. And what we do know is that even if you get infected with some of these strains and are fully vaccinated, you may absolutely have a much less intense infection. It, it likely will prevent a severe hospitalization. So absolutely, the fact that these strains are evolving and are more resistant should not preclude you from seeking vaccine. The vaccine can, can hopefully help you not have a more severe outcome with any of these more contagious strains.
0: You mentioned the the Johnson Johnson vaccine. So let's stick with that for just a moment because it was announced uh, just last month and it includes both a two-shot and a one-shot vo- uh, version. Both are s- showing so far promising results. Tell us the very latest on that vaccine and, and remind us how it's different from the others.
1: So the current emergency use uh, request is going to be for the single-dose vaccine. Uh, The major differences are it's not a messenger RNA vaccine. It's an adenovirus vector vaccine, which means using pieces of a different type of virus to help deliver the vaccine into our system. It does not require the extreme storage necessary for the Pfizer vaccine or even the Moderna vaccine, which makes this one that can be at room temperature and brought to many locations, uh, brought to individuals that are homebound, brought to individuals who uh, don't have a home at all uh, to be able to vaccinate these individuals. Looking at things on paper, when you read a result that says it shows 72% efficacy, uh, the thought might be, well, why would I want a vaccine that that shows 72% efficacy when we have vaccines that are 94%. 95% efficacious. And the answer to that is within that 72% efficacy, those who got coronavirus uh, after being vaccinated did not have severe disease. It did not have significant hospitalizations. There were no deaths and there were no critical care stays. So those are incredible statistics at something really giving us a preventative leg up for people that are at risk or having very severe outcomes. So this will be a very useful vaccine.
0: Let's hear from another caller. Dr. Robbie is on the line from Hyde Park with a question on the vaccine impact if you've never taken a vaccine before. I am in the 1B category, and I've never taken a vaccine for flu and have rarely taken any medicine throughout my life. So I'm wondering what is the potential impact or effect of my taking the vaccine? because I don't have a lot of medicine. I take vitamins, but don't have a lot of medicine in my system.
1: So everyone is different when it comes to being inoculated with a vaccine. I will tell you of all the vaccine technologies that are available, from live vaccines to killed vaccines to viral vector vaccines, toxin vaccines, messenger RNA vaccine technology, promises to be among the safest vaccine technology ever, ever used. Um, Part of the reason why such extreme storage is required is because these vaccines are preservative-free. They don't contain eggs. They don't contain preservatives. Their ingredients are extremely minimal to make them among the purest vaccines that we are receiving. Be prepared for a sore arm. Be prepared for that possibility of feeling a bit flushed, fatigued, possibly mild headache, uh, or potentially no symptoms at all. I do not think that never- having had vaccines at all. And believe me, at least uh, once each year, I see someone who's never had a vaccine in their entire life. Uh, I don't think that should preclude you in any way from receiving this vaccine that is very safe and very effective as your
0: first vaccine. Good question for folks like Robbie, who've rarely taken a vaccine. Uh, Doctor, on Tuesday, President Biden launched a uh, the first phase uh, of the federal retail pharmacy program that uh, distributes COVID-19 vaccines to pharmacy chains like Walgreens and CVS. Walgreens stores in Illinois will be getting around 39,000 more vaccines each week, and that starts next Thursday. Do you think that's going to help speed up Chicago's vaccine rollout plan?
1: I can only hope so. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to rolling out into the commercial pharmacies and also ramping up, uh, you know, area mega sites and, and locations where they can vaccinate a, a tremendous number of people uh, in a given day. Having the accessibility of these vaccines in our commercial pharmacies should be a game changer. And while 39,000 sounds like a lot each week, when we talk about many, many, many commercial pharmacies and CVS stores and Walgreens stores, it might only amount to a few hundred each day. And those go quickly. But having multiple, multiple places with some supply is better than having no supply at those places at all. So I hope that this only increases the opportunity and availability for people to be able to get vaccine and have access to vaccine relatively close to where they're at.
0: Will people still need to make appointments to get the vaccine if they're getting it at the pharmacy?
1: At this moment, yes, uh, until we end up with with a, significant, a significantly more uh, of a supply of vaccine. I don't foresee us having walk-in clinics, uh, potentially through the, the rest of, of Tier 1B, which could last easily into April.
0: The effect of the vaccine and control of the spread is only going to work if people keep social distancing and, and wearing their masks. With Chicago rolling back restrictions and reopening restaurants and schools, What can we expect?
1: We have to pay close attention. We have to learn from trends that have happened in the past and not wait too long to take a pause or a step back if we need to. Uh, It's frustrating for uh, restaurant owners and bar owners. It's frustrating for uh, people that own small businesses to open the doors and to have to close them even halfway again. Same thing with schools, as schools start to to reopen more broadly. But we have to simply pay attention to uh, the statistics in the community and seeing how these trends are going. Uh, If we take people who are fully vaccinated and they start to relax their own social distancing guidelines and their own social distancing and mask wearing, they could unwittingly be passing this virus on to those who haven't been vaccinated. And if it's one of those more efficient spreaders, we could end up with a big problem if that virus is introduced into a population, a group, an indoor setting where people are not vaccinated at all. So it kind of has to be not an either or, but all the above. We need vaccine, we need masking, we need social distancing, and, and we will get
0: through this. Now, doctor, as we talked about earlier, some folks are hesitant to get the vaccine right now. What are the consequences of not getting the vaccine or waiting to get the vaccine, which a lot of folks are doing? And how quickly will the vaccine make social closeness acceptable?
1: You know, we're still waiting on, I wish I had some of these answers, concrete answers for you. Come on. June 1st, (laughs) we are good to go. Yes. Um, No, I think, I think that, um, I think mask wearing is going to be with us for a long time to come, whether it's, it's uh, something that is, is Is simply encouraged or something that's required. Um, But I definitely think through the the rest of the year and potentially into the future, depending on different waves. We'd had a conversation the other day with a number of specialists in my organization. Uh, We have barely seen influenza this year. And that's because masks work. And we have to really kind of think to ourselves, why has it been acceptable for the U.S. to have 40 to 60,000 people die every year because of influenza? And here we are in a year like this using masks for a different reason, but arguably we have no cases of influenza sitting on ventilators in our hospitals right now. I've seen one case this entire season as an infection specialist. So Mm -hmm. we need to continue to have a conversation about this stuff. And the, the fact that we can use vaccine to push towards herd immunity, we don't want to use the disease itself to push towards herd immunity because that is too much unnecessary death. And I understand that there are individuals that have reservations and, and folks that wanted to wait. I want to wait and see how this vaccine pans out and plays out. Well, Well, here we are, 35 million doses of vaccine in you're not first in line anymore there's many 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 people have gone before you and we are seeing significant positive effects across all the states we're not the only state with a downward trend so it, it sort of comes to, to being on the right side of history here. We are moving towards that end goal, and that end goal is going to require 70-ish percent of our population being fully vaccinated and having antibodies before we can start living that normalcy. And literally, you matter every single listener matters as being a part of that drive towards herd immunity. We have to protect those who simply cannot be vaccinated for uh, genuine medical uh, reasons. So let's get vaccinated. We're all doing our part. It feels really good to be a part of this amazing thing.
0: Let's jump back to the phones. Mary Lou is on the line from Chatham, and she's got a question about allergies and the vaccine, which is something you've talked about here on the show before, uh, Dr. Taramina. Hi, Mary Lou. Hi. Right. Go ahead with your question. I have many allergies, food and medications. I had um, cataracts removed a couple of years ago, and the medications that were applied for that, I was allergic to. So I'm told that if you have allergies, you take. Mary Lou, you there? Well, doctor, based on what you heard, can you respond?
1: so Mary Lou, I definitely encourage you to talk to your allergist. Um, allergists currently are, are testing uh, patients for the most common reaction to these vaccines, which could be to the polyethylene glycol or PEG component. It's one of the components of the medication. So you can have allergy testing done to see if you have any um, uh, a robust response to uh, a, a trigger like that. Mm-hmm. And the rest of your allergy list can be reviewed as well. For the most part, medication allergies that are not injectable medications or vaccines uh, or any uh, type of food or animal or uh, stinging insect allergies, folks have been able to receive these vaccines with uh, little to no uh, increased incidence of adverse outcomes.
0: Let's hear from our last caller. Rona's on the line from Lakeview. Hi, Rona. What's your question?
1: Hello. How are you? Um, I'm wondering, is it okay to wash to launder in a washing machine and dryer and reuse the surgical and KN95 masks. That's a great question. We haven't had a question like that since the very beginning. Uh, Surgical masks and KN95 masks are not designed to be uh, saturated with moisture and washed and dried. There are uh, different ways where they can be sort of uh, brought up to a a warmer temperature to potentially kill some uh, virus. I don't recommend microwaving them or anything like that. These are techniques that are used more like an autoclave-type device in, in healthcare settings. So for the most part, for those of us walking around just in society, consider can 95 and 95 and surgical masks as being disposable we should not be laundering them in any way to extend their use
0: we need a we need a full mask refresher doctor we we actually did a segment yesterday on masks and you can find that rona online at slash reset that's dr termina from the dupage medical group dr termina always a pleasure take care
1: thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and npr